Welcome to Transformation Simulation, the podcast about agile transformations and personal transformations. Here are your hosts, fraternal agile twins, only separated by four months, 100 pounds, meat consumption, and different parents, Alicia Yannick and Nathan Chawilawu Ashe. Welcome to episode six. Our friends are up to, what are, not no good, but our friends are up to some scrumminess is what's about to happen here, right? They're, they're hitting forming. They're going to see what the ceremonies really feel like as they try and work through their first sprint. They're going to probably come up against some of the same or typical obstacles or speed bumps or roadblocks that most new scrum teams go through. So let's, let's take a peek and hear what they have to say for themselves. The team starts sprinting. Sprint number one. The first sprint is mired in forming and storming stages, even though the team has been together for over a year. Command and control behavior, not exhibiting trust, and overcommitting for the sprints have all surfaced. Scrum Master faces the challenge of how to really motivate and guide the team. Team members have problems making transition from being told what to do versus figuring it out themselves. Stand up on day one of the sprint. Good morning, team, and welcome to your first stand up. It's day one of our first sprint. Everyone ready to get started? Not exactly sure what's supposed to happen in a stand up. I can't remember. Do I just give a status update? Let's do a quick review of the goals for the stand-up. We can consider the stand-up and micro-planning where we adjust our work for the day based on the progress we made the day before, keeping in mind that meeting our sprint goal is our number one priority. We might also end up shifting around how we tackle the work in order to meet the sprint goal. And impediments. It's important to identify those and talk about how to overcome them. I want to make sure that I don't end up with all the testing tasks at the end of the sprint. Let's talk about that at stand-up. We can definitely talk about that after stand-up, but we want to stick with discussing our plan for the day as a team during the stand-up time. I'm here to make sure the team gets enough work done every day so we don't miss our delivery date. Let's talk about that after stand-up. As the PO is here by invitation to observe, and to not oversee the work of the team. Okay, but I also have additional work that has to be added to this sprint. I just learned about it this morning and the CEO said it needs to be done right away. We'll have to release before the sprint is even over. Just a heads up. Stand up on day four of the sprint. I'll start stand up today. It's the fourth day of the sprint and I have nothing to test. I put together my test cases and test plans, and now I'm waiting for someone to finish the work they've said they were going to do the past three days. I don't know how you expect me to get anything done when I have to take such small pieces of work. It'll take me days to finish up a story. Plus, I found spaghetti code in refactoring that as I go. The unit tests are taking a long time because the framework isn't really in place, and the product owner asked me to finish up the work she mentioned on day one of the sprint, so that has to come first. Hey team, let's take a minute here. I know we're in stand-up, but it sounds like we need to talk about some impediments. 
why don't we finish stand-up and then we can have what's called parking lot discussion. We can talk through what is in our way and keeping us from completing our tasks. I don't have time to talk about anything. If I don't get back to my desk, I'm not going to get the work done and I've already have 12 hours of work in front of me. If you can solve that by talking, I'd like to know. Are you saying we won't have anything to test again today? We each have four stories to work on. How fast do you expect us to go? Is there someone who can tell us what work we should be doing? Where's the product owner? Isn't it her job to tell me which tasks to work on? Team, I'm getting frustrated as it seems like we aren't practicing good stand-up behaviors. How are we working together to meet our sprint goal? I don't see how we're going to meet our sprint goal. And again, I need to get back to my desk so I can show that I did good work during the sprint. It's close to review time and I want the dev manager to see that I'm doing my work, even if we're failing at this scrum stuff. Stand up on day eight of the sprint. I'll start today. Yesterday I had to rewrite the code that dev one wrote because it didn't follow the patterns I like to follow. That put me behind on my work because I had to clean up her work. For today, I'm going to work on my tasks from yesterday. I have four tasks going at once and none of them will be done by the end of today. So I guess this is my status for tomorrow too. Why did you rewrite my code? I know how to write code and it was fine. We have to go fast now and there's only two days left. I'm not going to be embarrassed at our first sprint review by having nothing to show for this sprint. It sounds like... Look, what little I've tested has broken all over the place. Why is quality suffering? We've written code before. Are you just throwing stuff over the wall? It doesn't sound like you all are going to be able to deliver anything. Is that true? Because if so, I'll need to report to my boss that our product is at risk of not meeting market demands. Folks, we're missing the point of stand-up. What can we do, given we're here today, to finish up at least one of our stories? If we come together, can we work on one thing, get that across the line to be done, and then pick up what is next? Well, it looks like our team is trying to get going here in their first sprint, Alicia. Uh -huh. I like how stand-up got a little rocky there. Oh, what was it, day one, day four, and, and day eight? Something yeah. like that? Uh-huh. And uh, day eight felt a little bit like gritty sandpaper going on, didn't it? It did. Uh-huh. Yeah, stand-ups can be confusing. I mean, the first time, the first few times you do them, especially if you come from a background where you're used to giving status reports status. or updates or... Mm -hmm. something other than a stand-up. Mm -hmm. I agree with you about stand-ups can be a little rocky. Why do you specifically think that is? I specifically think that is is because we probably most of our careers have been required to report on what we've done in that stand-up in some, I'm sorry, in some kind of status mm -hmm. format. Mm -hmm. And that's just what's comfortable, you know, mm -hmm. or that's just what we've done. And I think the, the stand-up also requires you to be forward-looking for a day. And that's, that's kind of tough for most people. I think it's hard for those reasons and also because it is a micro-planning and there's, a, there's an implied commitment. Mm. And so it's real easy to get distracted by so many things during the course of one day. And to have that heightened visibility 
into did you do what you said you were going to do for the day and if you didn't why and communicating that out to a group of people who rightfully so should be holding you accountable for it because we all have a common goal inside of a sprint i think that's what can make it a little gritty in addition to yes we're used to status reporting we're used to being able to hide behind things because how often do we report things on a daily basis? And right. I know for me as a team member and having been a scrum master and also a coach, that stand-up can get pretty routine as well. So we didn't see that in this episode, though. In we this episode, not, yeah. we saw the, the tension and contention that can happen. But what I liked about the tension and contention that happened is that it shows what visibility does. It shows what real conversations are like. Because most of the time, I think team members think like this in their heads. You well, and I definitely. just wrote it so it's out there and loud. But right. most of the time that's going on in someone's head. I think QA got all fussy and said, what is it, day four and I've got nothing? What, what What's going on? And right. that's going on in people's heads. They just don't always articulate it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that too. I think we also are used to when we have a deadline and you know if we're in a two-week sprint or a one-week sprint however long our sprint is that's that sprint end date is the deadline in most people's mm -hmm. minds when they have to have their their work or their deliverables done and um having to report in their minds on your deadline on a daily basis is extremely stressful <laughs> it, it can be until you yeah. get used to it yeah. yeah one of the things as a coach that i encourage scrum masters and teams to do is make use of that stand-up treat it like a daily plan where you're talking to each other don't don't treat it like a status because when it gets wrote in routine like a status you're missing out you're missing out on the chance to communicate together and work together toward that common goal it uh, a sign of a healthy team or a mature team i think is when they look at each other not the scrum master and when they have a conversation to one another and it is conversational as opposed to very curt, very short, move on to the next person. I just want to go sit back at my desk. Um, and there are teams who practice scrum where their standups aren't very mature, I don't think. Yeah. They are more operating, the team operates in a silo and you can absolutely see that at the standup. Yeah. The other thing I have to encourage scrum masters and team members to do is team members own your standup. I've had team members who said, when I was a scrum master, well, if you're not there, we're not going to have stand up. And I went, but I'm not the one doing the work. What do you right. mean? You need to talk to each other. And so the, it's interesting to see, and, and those were not the healthiest teams, right? Those were not the most mature teams when they, they didn't want to take advantage of that. Yeah. They didn't want to take advantage of that time to, to talk to one another and figure out how to replan every day to meet the goals and what they were accountable for inside that, that sprint. Definitely. In fact, one of the things that um, I do sometimes in helping a team and a scrum master get to a more mature level with their standups is I will actually ask the scrum master, just don't attend. Don't show up for standup, uh -huh. you know, once or twice a week uh -huh. and just and let's see what happens. Uh -huh. You want to see what happens because you want those team members to go into stand up, like you said, and have the conversation. Uh -huh. And the scrum master is there, of course, to help facilitate sometimes when team members aren't talking, um, getting everybody involved and asking some tough questions or the right uh -huh. questions. But you also want the team members to do that, um, as you kind of alluded to, when, when that scrum master is not there doing it. Uh -huh. 
Yeah. Is it hard for the scrum masters when you coach them to not attend oh, every yeah. day? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, I usually only do that. It's not something I actually want them to do consistently if they don't want to, mm-hmm. but definitely at a growth phase when the team is getting ready to turn a corner and grow. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that the person who's leading them has to step away a little bit just so that team can kind of realize and they they realize this subconsciously sometimes yeah, we can do this we can talk about this on our own mm-hmm. we can hold each other accountable and that's actually this great unifying moment for the team but it is tough on the scrum masters mm-hmm. um but um and when it works though it's it's rewarding for them <laughs> so we see i think as a segue from something you just said you said that you have scrum masters do that during growth times and 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 what we're kind of lifting the lid on is a team that's going through forming and storming a little bit here so i wondered if we wanted to talk a bit about forming and storming and how teams and scrum masters experience that when they're transitioning to scrum definitely i think um first i wouldn't coach a scrum master to do that based on what our simulation was about in this episode. Mm-hmm. The scrum master needs to be there, and you can see that the the way the scrum master was illustrated, the way her role was, she was there guiding, explaining what stand up is, talking about a parking lot, mm-hmm. um, holding the team accountable to test stories and scripts. Mm-hmm. We we want the scrum master to have that type of engagement. Um, and involvement with the team, especially in forming and storming. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, if the scrum master is not there during those periods where those where that honest communication is happening, um, as it was in our simulation, then the team is in trouble. <laughs> I think I think these three stand-ups that we just listened to are what the stand-ups what else are they called besides stand daily scrums i don't daily know what they're scrums, called anymore daily, yeah everybody changes the name it, of whatever daily they are. plans every, yeah. yeah every few years right yeah. i still do stand up because if you're standing up you don't want to be standing up for more than 15 minutes so that right. is one way to make sure you get to what you need to get to and then move on and problem solve outside of that but our scrum master here i think did a really good job of holding the team accountable for good scrummy stand-up behavior and also held the product owner accountable. So we saw the product, didn't the product owner come in and say, I act like we don't know, we wrote it, Uh, but didn't the product (laughs) owner come in and say, hey, I got some stuff I need to introduce, right? And the scrum master went, ho, ho. Um, And I think if the scrum master hadn't been there in this stage, it probably would have devolved into a little bit of chaos. And it's not that you can't rebound from that. That's the other thing that I think adds a lot of value that people don't understand if if stuff falls apart for a day yes that's expensive and it doesn't feel good and it can be kind of messy but how much easier is it to recover from one messy day versus five messy days or 10 messy days or months of messy days right oh i want that one messy day yeah i'll take that one or two messy days per week uh-huh. Uh, versus one month of messy uh-huh. uh, or, or wait, in waterfall projects, how, how many days at the end of the waterfall project were just chaotic and a total mess? Oh, tons months, of them. months yeah, worth months. of days. Yeah. So there's a little sum in here. I think um, I wanted to talk about the storming part because we see some storming, but but I also want to caution teams who are out there. Storming isn't just we had a stand up where QA was snappy about the fact that they didn't they didn't have any code to test yet 
Like that's the least of the storming you go through. That's actually called, I don't know, collaboration, which is, this is where I'm at. We're not going to get there as a team. So for me, that's not even really an example of storming. That's just, now maybe it was a little said with, you know, kind of some rough edges, but I think teams need to be prepared for not just some of that, but some real storming where they've, where they've disappointed one another. Um, And, and either knowingly or unknowingly, and you have to go through that. And I was working with a team recently and we were, we hit a storming point and that we got through, we had a retro, actually we used a retrospective to help us get through it. And we got through it and the team sort of went, yay, we finished with storming and and now we're ready to move into um, norming. And I went, oh, no, 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 <laughs> that's just, okay. no, no, <laughs> yeah, just it's one not time. linear. One time we did, we moved through storming. So I just, I wanted to put that plug in there <laughs> and particularly for the scrum master, because I think the scrum mm. master's role, if you have a weak scrum master, it will be harder for the team to mature very well. Yeah. If you have a strong scrum master, that is a tool or an asset to helping the team mature. And yeah. one thing that I, I see in good scrum masters is they anticipate the storming. They let it happen without turning into some kind of cage match and they work to bring the team together for a resolution. Yep. It's, it's a definite skill. And I've also seen scrum masters who actually kind of stoke some storming. And they'll do that when team members come to them in confidence and say, this particular thing is going on or something. Or if like there's that. passive aggressive behavior. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they will introduce that as a whatever that is as a topic or a subject or an experience and kind of force the team into dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean to state that the scrum masters takes what someone gives them in confidence and just, you know, shares it with the team, but they find a way to introduce that challenge that's making the team less productive, successful, connective, and, mm-hmm. and make sure the team addresses it. Mm-hmm. So exactly as you said, you know, they figure out how to let that storming happen. But I've also seen scrum masters, myself included, I've done this. I actually enjoy doing this. I actually enjoy introducing something that makes them storm so they can work through it and grow closer together. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was I mean, part of me wants to say, uh-huh. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> but also, I do not encourage brand new scrum master just to do that. No. Because it, it is a muscle that you need to have built. Now, I do encourage new scrum masters to say, I'm, I'm observing X. I'm noticing X. I, team, do we want to talk about X? Yeah. I do encourage new scrum masters to call out what they're observing and seeing because part of your job as a scrum master is to call out what you're observing. And the team can say, we want to talk about it or we don't want to talk about it. Uh, but you're giving them an, you're giving them some feedback about some things that you see happening. So we had a little, um, since we're talking about storming, you want to talk a little about the, the little refactoring that we saw going on? Yeah, wasn't that interesting? Uh-huh. <laughs> why do you, why, why did Dev one have to refactor Dev two's code. Well, have to or, or want, want to, to. Uh-huh. or feel compelled to. I think are three different things. So, um, just be and be, let to let you know if if we were Dev one and Dev two, 
Yeah. I would refactor your code all the time. Oh, I I'm know, sure and I would. I know you would. I know you would. <laughs> and also, you'd break it. By the way, so you would, would refactor it and you would break it. I know. If it, if it was HTML, I wouldn't break it. But if mm -hmm. it's if it's JSON, some kind of structured query, something mm -hmm. like I would break it all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And when I managed dev teams and coached dev teams, refactoring code happened all the time. And there is a good way. So I learned refactoring from Ron Jeffries. Refactoring is a good discipline to have. Refactoring when you stomp on someone else's code and you don't communicate about why you're refactoring it, that's a bad thing. And so I've seen people refactor code. I've worked in a lot of legacy code bases, Nathan, and you're almost always refactoring because there's something to be cleaned up everywhere you look. So you clean up a little around you, particularly if you're either introducing automation or you're making sure your automation stays strong. That's the good kind of refactoring. I think that's responsible development. It is. When I see refactoring where someone checked in code, well, left for the night, came back, and somebody else took that code and refactored it because they thought it should be different. And I, by the way, have seen the code be worse off and break all over the place. That is what I would call irresponsible refactoring. Yeah. And I think it happens honestly because of ego, quite frankly. That's kind of what I would boil it down to. And I think there can be amongst teams that haven't really gone through forming and storming and norming very well, a sense of, I want it my way. Right. So I'm going to take what you did and, and make it the way I want it. And yeah. those teams fall apart down the road. They do. That's usually an internal struggle. It's mm -hmm. first of all, it's, it's for developers. It is a big disrespect. It is that is the middle finger <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. in many, you know, in many ways. So it's, it's, you know, if you have that behavior on a team, just to expect that your, your team is, is going to have this imploding device that's just ready to go, uh -huh. go off at any time. And cause it's usually bigger than just the one developer who did the refactoring, right? So let's use you and I as an example, I check in code, you decide, don't like the way Alicia's code looks, you're going to check it out and refactor it. Well, someone has to accept your pull request because on a good development team, you're not probably pulling in your own code or depends on, I guess, how your team is structured and what your team agreements look like. That means somebody else is pulling it in. Yeah. Or you pull it in yourself. But none of those things lend themselves well to healthy scrum teams. Yeah. One, one thing I've done on a scrum team to kind of alleviate that is, um, you know, you have this touch base before something like that happens. And the way I used to kind of illustrate it to the dev teams is everybody's seen some kind of cop show. One officer goes to another jurisdiction where they mm -hmm. don't have control uh -huh. and the cops in that jurisdiction want that other officer to come in and just say, hey, we're following sub suspect A. Uh -huh. He's here. I'm just letting you know. I'm here. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the same type of, you know, it's really just courtesy. And then that gives the opportunity to have a real discussion. Um, and I find when developers aren't willing to do that, a lot of times, this is just my experience, mm -hmm. sometimes they have an ill intent mm -hmm. <laughs> with, mm -hmm. with the code in the first place, if they're mm -hmm. not willing to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Or ill intent toward the, their other team member. Their team members, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a smell. What do we call that? Bad. It's a bad scrum smell. It is. Yeah. We should create a word for that. What is a bad scrum smell? I don't know. You want one word for all that? <laughs> well, I got them, but I don't. <laughs> I don't want to edit it out after I say it. 
in in episode six anything else that comes to mind for you i'm trying to think well you know dev had one statement in there he says um i don't know how you expect me to get anything done when i have to take such small pieces of work Mm -hmm. and you know it's their first sprint they're doing a little bit of storming forming and storming but taking you know slicing those that work down into small enough increments to deliver in two weeks. That is tough. The first sprint for mm-hmm. folks who've, who've never really worked in, you know, this iterative fashion mm-hmm. uh, before. Mm-hmm. Um, it can feel like you don't get anything done. Right. Cause it seems like it takes too long for the pieces of work to come together and formulate something that's significant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, it's also, what's your trick there? I have a trick there as a coach, but what's your trick there? Um, you know, I don't know if I have any tricks there. I'll be totally honest. The, you know, I That's why I'm better it. than you are. Well, of course, we all uh-huh. know that. Uh-huh. Don't edit that out. <laughs> I won't. I won't. <laughs> but you know, I just stick to the fundamentals, you know, that we are taking, you know, we are vertical slicing, just educating on on the what it is. Uh-huh and encourage them to find the how to do it Mm -hmm. and hopefully i know enough about what they do to where i can coach them when their how isn't going to meet the needs of a small enough slice slice in a sprint Mm -hmm. so i don't i don't have any tricks just well it's funny you said slice because you know how i feel about cake Oh yeah. Cake's really important, right? So I when I talk to people about vertical slicing, I reference either cake or pie. And and it didn't work as well with pie, so I don't reference pie anymore. But but I talk about if you have a multi-layered cake that you've got the cake and then icing or some kind of filling and then another layer of cake and then icing. And frosting, I guess depends on where you're from if you say <laughs> frosting or icing. But anyway, I digress. So what I will say to people is I don't want to eat the bottom level of a piece of cake. It's not very, it's fine. It's cake. Cake's always good, but it's just the bottom level. It's so much more satisfying if I, even if it's just one bite, if it's all the way through. All of it. And what someone said to me once was, well, I don't want a bite of cake. That's not interesting to me. I want the whole piece. And I said, but how can you tell me when you can deliver a whole piece? Because now I got to wait two weeks versus I could take a bite a day. Yeah. And and it's satisfying. And so it's a rewiring almost of the brain to say, well, a bite a day is better than waiting who knows how long to get a full piece. Right. And I don't know if that person didn't like cake. We didn't ever really meet in the middle on that. But but that's what I have. I tell people is it's a rewiring of how you look at it, which is, hey, I can give you a bite of cake every day for two weeks fresh cake, by the way, Um, or you can wait two weeks and then have a piece, but you don't get to taste anything along the way. And you only get it for that one day. And then your cake's gone again. And people who are willing to open up about thinking differently can usually grok that. And people who don't are going to struggle a little more. And that's, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting and important that you said the people who are willing to change the way they think about that, because uh-huh. it is, that is for developers, that is the big mindset shift there. Right. Wow. And, I'm not sure how we went there. Are we still on episode six? Did I just take us are. down some sort of crazy road? No, we're on episode right. six. And I love that your example there with cake. In fact, you actually des- described 
what my daily sugar strategy is. <laughs> to eat a piece of cake a day or a bite a cake a day? A, a bite a cake, a few cookies a cookie. here, uh -huh. something like that, just a little uh -huh. bit and string it out and make sure I don't eat the whole cake uh -huh. in one day. Uh -huh. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> we should probably just end it when you said that, Nathan. We should. So, All right. Let's, so let's Will you edit that out? Learned. Let's figure out what we learned in this episode. Alicia okay. likes cake. Alicia, we knew Alicia liked cake. Alicia's better than me. We have that on tape. We're going yes, we to make sure that rolls. Right. And um, we've identified my sugar strategy in any given week. Mm-hmm. All right, this has been a good episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we talked about scrum in there a little bit at least. Did we? Oh, well, sure. <laughs> I mean, we're not getting graded and no one's paying us for this, so I guess we could talk about whatever the heck we want. We could, yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to uh, You want to move on to another episode? Let's jump and see what happens in episode seven. <laughs> All right. All the music in our podcast is created by Gilpin Hill. That dude, now that dude is great. He can play some music. I'm telling you that. Mm -hmm. Chris Tolino, also known as Sweet Tony, also known as One Take Tony, is the voice actor on our podcast introduction this season. Chris also played the role of Manager One throughout the season. And Chris, we thank you for both. Special thanks to our friends Bay Hall, Lauren Harrison, Eric Harrison, Arnold Panjanaban, John Amaranjan, Margie Morse, Ryan Babbage, and Shrikanth Reddy, who were all script actors for the episodes in this season. If you are looking for exceptional Agile coaches, look no further than this collection of great people. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are available. We are Alicia, Yannick, and Nathan Chawilawuashe, the Agile Twins. If you have questions, comments, or ideas, you can connect with us at transformationsimulation.com. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.